0: Welcome to On Boys Parenting Podcast, the podcast that explores and explains boy behavior. We are your co hosts, Jennifer LW Fink of BuildingBoys.net and Janet Allison, founder of BoysAlive.com.
1: Our guest today is a beloved preschool teacher. And even if you feel like your kids are out of the preschool phase, i know you are going to find many many strategies tips and insights in our conversation today with teacher tom that will benefit you and all of your relationships stay tuned for teacher tom and our conversation When I mention the name of our guest to many parents, there is usually an exclamation of awe and delight, and then an, oh, I love him, usually follows. Known to all as Teacher Tom, our guest is able to interpret the young child in a way that helps parents and teachers see the wisdom of young children. He encourages us to step back and observe as their development unfolds in a natural way. This is the foundation of play-based education and the foundation of parenting your child by paying keen attention to who he is, not who you or society thinks he ought to be, nurturing the unhurried unfolding of a child Teacher Tom is masterful in interpreting young minds and young bodies for us, showing us how to love and support each unique being. Welcome, Tom. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Great to have you. You know, there's so, so many directions this conversation could go. And I, I'm i curious, most of all, of course, I'm sure you get asked this all the time. You are a male in a very female profession of early childhood tell us about that
3: well first of all I am incredibly you know I'm actually honored that I've been accepted in the sisterhood um you know because this is more of a sorority than anything else and I and and it is a profession. I mean like you know when I look at my readership and all my blog and things I do it's you know it's 97 percent women um you know parenting whether we want it to be or not whether that's the right thing or not parenting is is generally speaking a female profession and it's our occupation and, or at least a concern, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of, a lot of fathers do parenting. They just maybe don't read or listen to the experts or something. I, and I don't, I can't explain that. So for me, my experience has been, you know, it's been incredible. I mean, honestly, uh, my situation at Woodland Park Cooperative School uh, I have never had to worry about, you know, the suspicions that some men get and the, the, the fears that people have, because, you know, I work in a classroom that has, you know, anywhere from five to 11 other adults in the room in the form of parents. Mm-hmm. And so we're all on each other's radar all the time. So there's just no room, you know, there's yeah. no room for suspicion. Um, and so for me, that's that's been a blessing to have it be that way. And I've never really had my gender come into play um, any overt way. That I'm aware of. I think I have had benefits of being a male. I think some people, um, a lot, single mothers sometimes will say, "Well, I want a male influence in my child's life or something." Or, um, you know, lesbian uh, parents uh, oh, have sure. often chosen chosen my school. And I know there's a lot of people who who just wanted specifically were looking for a male teacher, which is not necessarily fair. Um, so I, I benefited from that.
1: Mm-hmm
0: what drew you to pursue early childhood as a profession? And I realize asking that question, it's a stupid question. I'm going to assume it is, you know, a love and care for young children, but it's not necessarily an easy path to choose when you're in a society that doesn't really lay that out as a option in the same way that it does for women.
3: Yeah, no, I, you know, honestly though, you're kind of, your assumption sort of wrong. Um, I, yes, it is. I, it really has more to do that. I like playing with kids. I love uh, it. That's really the big reason that I got into this is that when my daughter was young, I, we were in a cooperative school. So that meant I went to school with her, um, you know, for three years, her first part. And so I was, I was there in the classroom. I was working as an assistant teacher and I just, I just, I found my home. It was just so much fun to go in every day and play with those two-year-olds and those three-year-olds and those four-year-olds. And, and, uh, so when she moved on to big kid school, I stayed behind.
0: I love it. She moved up and you're like, actually, this play thing is pretty sweet. Honey, you go learn. I'm staying here.
3: (laughs) Oh, she was learning even while she was playing.
0: Oh, absolutely. 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 You know, you mentioned the suspicion thing. Can Mm -hmm. we dig into that for just a moment? Because I have a brother. I have four brothers and I have a sister. One of my brothers um, went into early childhood, uh, uh, worked in daycares at first and I don't know you very well yet, but like you, he is amazing at seeing children and playing with them and connecting with them. And he can be on the level of a child for a long time in a way that a lot of adults sort of struggle with, right. He can get right in there and he has struggled with it as a profession due to suspicions of some parents and some coworkers. There is a heightened awareness in our culture of, you know, abuse and sexual mm-hmm. abuse and sexual abuse of children. And nobody wants this for their child. And in some corners, there is this idea that, well, if you are a man working around children, you must certainly have an ulterior motive.
3: Well, I mean, I think that among some people for sure. That's among that's some people, brilliant.
0: certainly not everybody.
3: But that's not everybody. And it, you know, well, and it's 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 sort of a knee-jerk thing. And honestly, you know, statistically, they're right. I mean, you know, at least the people we bust, you know, are overwhelmingly men. So I'm not going to say that people are are invalid in their concerns. And that's why I think transparency has been so important to me. I mean, it makes me sad when I hear about uh, men and men who, you know, they they can't change the diaper, for example, because somehow that's going to be an opportunity to do something nefarious. Um, And it, it does make me sad. And I think it really actually, in some ways, why we have to ask ourselves the question, why do men do this more often? Why is this? Why is this a problem? And, you know, and I and I think in part, it's sort of in part the way we raise our boys. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that as and I'm not saying any individuals at fault for this. I'm saying that it's that we have a cultural issue right now with with how we're raising our young boys. But, you know, the truth is, is that my as far as I'm concerned, it's like I know I had one parent one time come to me and she said, you know, I can't tell my own father, the grandfather, I can't tell him my daughter has a meal preschool teacher because he would he would tell, he would make me withdraw her the next day. Wow. Um, so there's there's some hard and fast things where people feel like, it, you know, and, and of course, you know, I personally uh, really bridle when somebody tries to tell me or anyone what they can do based on their gender.
1: Absolutely. Um,
3: I have been a lifelong feminist. I have mm-hmm. I started using that label when I was you know 17 years old, 16 years old, and I've stuck to it throughout my life, because I really believe that feminism is good for all of us, including our men and boys.
1: Yeah. And so to kind of flip it a little bit, how do we begin to change the script around raising boys, developing boys, letting boys know that it's great to be a nurturer of children. It's great to be a teacher of children. We are all clamoring for more male role models yeah. for our kids and yet we've closed the door hopefully you know we can open it a little bit yeah. for letting our boys know that this is this is a track that they can take in their in their lives and i don't think that we generally talk to our boys about you know you can go into early childhood education you can be an elementary school teacher it's just not spoken about how can we shift that?
3: Well, I think it starts way before we get to thinking about career, right? I mean, because, you know, I'm, I work with preschoolers. So I'm thinking about preschoolers, you know, and the proper career aspiration for a five-year-old is princess. I mean, that, you know, and no matter what your gender is, right? Exactly. Or, um, you know, that that's the proper, I mean, that that kind of, they shouldn't be thinking about career. Um, to me, though, it starts off with, you know, because we, 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 in our culture, we do have a society where men are lonely. Uh, men have higher suicide rates, men have, the, m- men are more prone to violence, um, more prone to, you know, like, um, uh, you know, well, sexual abuse and things like that. I mean, we, and, and I don't think that's in the nature of men. I think it's in, it's somehow in the nature of how we're raising men. And part of a big piece of it, a huge part of it is, is around emotions, around emotions. I mean, I always say that, you know, the only ones who are really allowed as men, are you know anger and you know basically that's the only one we get, right? Yeah. We can't be afraid because you can be all happy. Those...
0: Anger, yeah, happy. right.
3: You can have the positive emotion, but as far as the you know, so-called negative emotions, you know, we have to pretend we have to be angry. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one we're allowed in public, right? Women aren't, but men, men are of just generally speaking, right? Yes, and, yes. and we, we can see it as young as you know, four and five-year-old boys suddenly they start walling off their emotions a lot more because they're getting the messages. Uh, f- from, I mean, there's subtle messages too. I mean, and people want to blame the media, um, but we can overcome the media as parents, as a, as important adults in a child's life. The media is not more powerful than us, especially if we partake in the media alongside our children mm-hmm. and share our point of view. But, we, but I think even the way we treat, I mean, I remember Piaget, I mean, this was, you know, a long time ago and some of his research you know, we just do subtle things differently. Like, like parents tend to hold their little girl babies facing them and little boy babies facing out. Um, they tend to let their little boy babies go a little farther away from them than their little babies. So we treat them differently. And I think we treat their emotions differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this mentality of we don't want our boys to grow up to be pansies, right? We, because they cry, you know, I mean, where's the, I mean, there is masculine crying. There's crying is, is a, is a it's cathartic. It's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to express your fears, to be afraid of things, you know. Oh, don't be afraid. We're much more likely to tell our boys this, and then that gets compounded by messages in the media.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so,
3: to me, I think it's it's as is is letting our young our boys know. I mean, all of our children, no boys and girls yeah. and and any non-binary, every gender there is, um, to let them know that you know what, they're, whatever you feel, it's okay to feel that. You
0: wrote a blog post and we will definitely link to your blog. It has been an amazing resource for me through my parenting journey for many years now. And, uh, you don't even know this yet, but I quoted from one of your blog posts in a book that I have coming out soon and the specific blog post was from 2019 and you wrote about an experience with a child who was sad and you wrote that, um, sitting, you were talking about sitting with a sad child is almost always helpful. And I quoted you because you wrote the goal is not to end the crying, but to create a space in which he could finish his cry.
1: Now,
0: that is how we do this in practice. Talk about how you make space for emotions in your preschool, because so often preschool is such a critical time for when kids get these gendered messages.
3: Well, oh, um, I mean, really for me, you know, when I first started teaching, I was the master distractor, right? Wow. That was my, that was one of my, yeah, one of the skills I would get praised for this, right? I'd be, I would get, you know, it'd be, say, you know, a kid would be crying because mommy had left and, and, and I would, you know, I'd be like, oh, you're sad. Your mommy left. Oh, look twice. You know, and I'd get them yeah. all involved in, you know, and get them excited about something. And, and, you know, what I noted you know, usually they'd get engaged for five minutes, maybe seven minutes, and then, you know, then start whimpering again. And then I'd have to distract them again, right? Oh, look, oh. more toys. You know, and I, but I've come to understand to how incredibly disrespectful that is, um, despite the kudos I was getting for my ability to sort of make the kids, you know. And really, what, what that does, you know, and, and sometimes a parent or an adult might threaten to punish a child. For the, oh, you know, that's you know, if you stop, don't stop behaving that way, Mm -hmm. or offer reward, like, oh no, if you stop doing that now, I'll get you a lollipop so I can do my grocery shopping. And we and we do all these kind of things. And what emotions have a natural arc, right? There's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And what we do when we threaten punishments, when we distract, when we, you know, whatever, we stop them from experiencing that full arc of the emotion. And so they don't learn. That they're capable of coming out on the other side on their own, and so for me, that's the mentality I go in with a kid. I, I was um, when, and I'm going to talk about my daughter real quick. When she was little, I remember there was one time and she came home from school, and you know, and it, this was she was four years old, and she was having this hard time with another girl at school. She really wanted to play with this girl, and the girl was I mean basically an introvert and really didn't really want to play with my high energy daughter as much, and so she'd get rebuffed a lot. And she was bawling and she was in bed bawling one time. And I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm there beside her. I'm given some philosophy, some strategies, <laughs> some ideas of what she could do, you know, just trying to coach her through it. And she pulled herself together enough to look at me and say, Papa, I want you to leave now. I have to finish my cry. And that phrase became our family's mantra around emotions. Because when I told my wife about this story, you know, mm-hmm. later on, she said, that's what I want you to do with me too. And I think, especially as a man, I think so often we think, and I think women feel this way, especially in in roles of te- being a teacher or a parent, that, that we have to fix it, right? If somebody's yeah. trying that it's our job, to, I'm going to come in and I'm going to save the day. And you know, this is, that's not what people want. It's like my wife said, you know, I know what to do. I just want to cry. I just want you to come and stroke my, you know, stroke my forehead. Yeah. And so, you know, so this story you're telling me about, you know, that you mentioned from the blog post, a little, that was a little boy named Zane. And he, you know, he'd never been left before. And he he was, he was bawling and he was, he had just sat himself on the floor and he was immovable and just un, inconsol- inconsolable, it seemed. And so I just sat there, sat there with him. And 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 I asked him. So first, I think it's also respectful. We, you know, I don't touch a child unless I ask first, except in emergency type situations. But right. I, you know, and I said, you know, do you want me to hold you? No, he didn't. You know, I mean, I could. He could. He, through his blubbering, I could make that out. do um, You want me to, you know, can I put? Can I kind of rub your back? Can I, you know, this? No, no, no. So I just sat there with him. I said, so I'm just going to sit here with you, while you finish your cry. And so, you know, right there, I used that phrase because I wanted him to know I'm I'm here for the long haul. I'm not going to be here. I'm not here to do anything other than that. As he cried, he started saying, "No, I want my mommy to come back," and I could hear him saying that. And 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 I, you know, and I would I was repeating back to him, you know, just trying to show I'm listening, right? I'm there with you. I'm reflecting. So I said, you know, I want your mommy to come back too. I want my mommy to come back. Well, I want your mommy to come back too. And I'm saying this in a very, just a calm way, a matter of fact way. I wanted him to know that we're on, you know, we, we share that I understood him, but he kept getting louder. I want my mommy to come back. And finally he just looked at me and he actually stopped crying for a second. And he said, I want my mommy to come back. And that's what I, that's what
0: I realized that he didn't,
3: he didn't give a damn what I thought about his mommy being back. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. He, he Not wanted, about
0: you teacher Tom He
3: needed me to he needed to know that I heard what he said and that I understood it. and so I said, oh, you want your mommy to come back. And what was so wonderful about that was that at that moment then he stood up it didn't you know like my job wasn't to finish the cry, but I created the space where he get on he could get on with his life of doing right He could get on with with his activities. He was still crying for a while. But instead of just sitting there immobile on the floor, he was actually, you know, he was coloring with some crayons and he kind of got busy. And he kind of and then he, what he got. And I love the fact that he had this experience. Never again did he have a crying jag when his mom left. Um, he had sort of had the experience. He knew that he was going to be OK and that he could take care of himself. He didn't have to have somebody there with him. And that's because, because I just let it happen.
0: And look at the self-advocacy he also learned, too. Because you created space and because you listened to him and you didn't try and shut him down, he was able to look at you and say, I want my mom back.
3: For a it reminded 40-year-old... me so much of my daughter correcting me in that moment, too. It's just,
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Kids have taught me pretty much everything I know.
0: I have a logistical question, though. Now, I've never been a preschool teacher. I have never... Um, you know, had to be responsible for all these children in a classroom, but I have been a parent of four and four is much smaller than your average preschool class. And yet my challenge so often was, okay, I've got this kid crying and I want to be with him and make this space for him to finish his cry. And I want to let him know that I'm there for him. Meanwhile, this other kid is attempting to, you know, scale the kitchen table and I'm a little, I feel like my hands need to be here so he doesn't fall down. Can you give any practical advice or reassurance for parents who are like, yeah, Tom, that sounds great, but how, how do I find the space to be with this child? Right.
3: Well, I mean, you know, first of all, I just will mention that I mentioned before we're a cooperative school. So that would mean that I have lots of other adults in the room. So I can, you know, that this is the beauty of the cooperative model. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think most institutional settings um, are understaffed. Uh, yeah. We definitely need more, especially in the early years, we need more arms and legs in love. Um, yes. to take care of these kind of things, you know, and, and I do think, and I just, you know, I'm sorry. I, I, sometimes I, I I'm going to go off on a little tangent here and come back.
0: Tangents are good. Uh, well,
3: I just, you know, to me, we've really done a number on families and society in the last, I don't know, 60 years or so. Um, increasingly, our children spend their days in this place over here called preschool, you know, and then and, and parents are all going to this place called work. And then we've taken our seniors, right, and we've got them in, in nursing homes or in, in, in senior centers over here. And what we, and this is our village, right? This is the village that children are supposed to be raising the kids. Allison Gopnik, you know, talks about how humans are among the only animals who, you know, for whom the female doesn't die, right, after she starts, you know, after she hits menopause. Right, because we have this, we've evolved grandparents. Because mm-hmm. grandparents need to be involved. So, human children are young; they they are designed, and nature has designed us. We need more than one parent around. We yes. need it takes it takes a village. Is literally true for humans because that's they need us for at least ten years. <laughs> Um, probably, probably more are, you know, in our current, current way, we do it. They need them for, they need us for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and of course you always want your parents. So what we've done is we've created this, inf- this little hothouse for parents. We've made parenting unnecessarily difficult, yes. um, b- by removing children from the center of society because if you look at most of human history children were always right in the middle of society they went to work with people they were right there while the hunters were hunting and the gatherers were gathering they were there at all the community meetings and still to this day you see it in indigenous populations like mm-hmm. uh, the maoris in new zealand you know when they have community meetings i mean the babies are all there and if well, now we cart- have
0: to officially teach our kids things yeah. that historically they learned by being around by the role modeling by living it with us now it's like you're here the adults are here the grandparents are here
3: well and school is the most artificial of all the environments yeah because a school typically I mean I've tried to make my school in a place that's like life Um, that's a place where you have your where what you're there to do is get together with the other people and do projects and have your conflicts and work them out. And, you know, we call it play-based, but really what it is, is there's a lot of bickering involved in that too. And, but this is how we learn to get along with each other. So now I'm going to come around to, this is, this is the kind of thing that I, you know, do with parents is, is I usually say, you know, in these kind of circumstances, number one, I think the idea is to prioritize the people who need support with their emotions. Right. So I if you have so and, and and make it a family priority. So very often, like I know in some classrooms, some of the educators I know who are in situations where they're alone in a room with kids or they don't have enough support is what they do is they make this sort of sitting with somebody with emotions, a collective activity. Um, it's one of these things where the other children are involved in it, too. And so often when I'm sitting, you know, I told that story about Zane, but, you know, I wasn't the only one there. There were four or five mm-hmm. kids milling around there too, sort of keeping an eye on what was going on. Kids always, when this happens, other children will bring over like a toy they think they might want. They 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 take their own efforts. I mean, they get rebuffed, mm-hmm. you know, quite They're a bit. They're trying, but they but they yes, because they see that this is a community <laughs> responsibility. This is every you know, if somebody's really upset, let's all kind of take care of them for a minute. Let's all you know hang out with them and find out. Um, what, what's going on? I know that a lot of people, what they do is, you know, like your kids, you have yes spaces in your household. That's one of the things a lot of parents have started doing. It's like, you know, and maybe in those kind of circumstances where you got too many, you know, the kids go to their yes space and a yes space is a place where you're not worried about things getting broken. Yeah. You're not worried about kids getting hurt. So it can be a garage. It can be a bedroom. It can be a you know basement. It can be a fenced off area somewhere, a backyard. Every parent needs these. Right. If if you don't have a yes space for your kid, then you are making your job way too hard.
0: Here's some uh, experienced parent advice: the bigger you can make that space, the more it eventually expands to encompass your house, the easier your job gets. Yeah,
3: exactly. And especially you know, like a backyard. I mean, that's what we had when I was a kid, and we didn't have a backyard. We had a whole neighborhood, right? Yeah. Mom would say, "You're driving me crazy. Go outside." And she would open <laughs> up the door, and I mean, I'd be four years old, and she would close the door behind me, and she didn't expect to see me again. Until she yelled out for me "I'm top, come home, um, which often was all day. <laughs> yeah. And so, and you would go, go outside and you, so you were out there and you had the whole neighborhood and, and you know what, what's wonderful about outdoors is usually we don't care that much about it because, you know, part of playing, part of exploring your world is, is to test things till they break. And you don't want that happening in the living room, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I don't know if you you guys remember this, but there were a lot of families. Mine wasn't this, but literally those plastic covers over the living room furniture. The kids weren't allowed in there. <laughs> you're you know, dating
1: if you, yourself, Tom.
3: Exactly. <laughs> and you would know, you would know for sure that that's not the room to go in. And then yeah. some of the dads would, you know, our dads, right, Gen- I'm genderizing it here. Some of the, the fathers would put plastic wrap over their cars because if it didn't, the kids are going to open the doors and get in because nobody locked their cars back then. And you're going to play inside the car unfortunately, my dad let us play inside the carpet down the, you know, I had other neighbors who wouldn't. And so I, I think that these yes spaces, the bigger, the better. You're right about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can get a whole neighborhood, that's even better than a, um, you know, I don't think we're going back to that era no. anytime soon. But the more we can make our home environments and our school environments into yes spaces, the better we're going to, the more that we're going to have the opportunities to do the more important things like be with a child Mm -hmm. and help them, you know, be with them as they finish their project. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm curious because we are on boys here. So I'm curious what your observations are about boys and their friendships and how boys interact in making friends in joining together in play? Um,
3: you know, and again, you know, I, this is, I should never, be I know able we're to testing you because, I <laughs> know, because, because you get it, whenever, whenever <laughs> you're, ta- whenever you're talking about gender, you tend to get into trouble. Right. And so I'm going to say, I'm going to talk about that. There's, there's a tendency, right? Tendency. Typical a tendency. Tendency. The, boy, the kids we yeah. identify as boys have this tendency.
0: Yeah. Um, I like cute clothes. Armoire.style slash on boys. That's armoire.style, A R M O I R E, dot style slash on boys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today.
1: This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat and
0: whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about BiHeart Baby Formula. BiHeart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk, and ByHeart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula h-e-a-r-t dot com slash podcast and it is 10 percent off your first order by dot com slash podcast this is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply you know first
3: of all they love their friends i mean this is the reason like two-year-olds come to school you know because just somebody told them to come you know maybe they come because the toys maybe the 3 year olds come because the toys are kind of fun or the environment's kind of fun but by the time they're like 4 and 5 years old they're coming for the other kids yeah and 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 they're coming because it's it's true love they don't care about teacher tom they don't care about the other adults in the room they're coming there and they they're and it's so wonderful cuz they're so excited to see each other every day right you've seen this <laughs> and these you know and they're giggly and they're you know excited and they run around really
0: fast so they they remind they, me of puppies
3: they're it's very the same, much like puppies.
0: It's the same level of excitement. And, and it's often physical at that age. You know, they're, they're tumbling all over each other and they have to be in, in contact like puppies are.
3: Yeah. Well, and for me, this is, a this is, okay, this is something I'm going to, I'm going to say something that will really get me into trouble here. I think this is one of the things some female teachers struggle with Yes. Uh, compared to male teachers is yeah. that, mm-hmm. is that that physicalness is not violence. It's the opposite when they start wrestling around, boy, that's, to me, that's an act of love. Mm-hmm. And when I watch that, 90% of the time, that's what it is. And we sit there and say, no, no wrestling, no wrestling, no wrestling. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if you're really c- conscious of your language, you're saying, um, you know, this is not the wrestling time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the truth is, is, is some of these boys don't ever have that chance. And and, and either they, their siblings are too young or they don't have siblings. And so in most schools, ban it. Yes. So this is why for us, you know, for me, I want to give them that chance, because if you watch two boys wrestling, most of the time they are paying so close attention to one another's bodies and their facial expressions. I mean, half the time they're looking into each other's eyes as they're wrestling. And, and, it, and it, it is it is a beautiful thing to see. Um, and we have it. It's an official part of our curriculum at our school. I mean, we lay down the gym mats and we say it's wrestling time. and
1: I uh, love it.
3: And we talk about beforehand, right? We all sit down together and and we say, okay, so what are our agreements around this, right? Does anybody want their eyes poked? No. Does anybody want their hair pulled? No. Does anybody want their neck choked? No. Okay, so let's just keep our hands off people's heads, right? All right, so does anybody want to get hit? No. Hitting is not part of wrestling. Do anybody want to get kicked? No. So we talk, and we talk through very specifically, what are these things that we're going to agree to? And we don't call them rules. We call them agreements. The agreement is when you're on the mats, you don't get to opt out of the wrestling until you say stop. And if somebody says, stop, everybody has to stop. And we set up, we always, and we try to prepare for everything. Well, you know, wrestling's rough. Sometimes people get hurt. So if you're going to cry, you can't wrestle while you're crying, right? You can't wrestle while you're mad. So there's a crying chair over there. You go sit in the crying chair until you're ready to come back. And so anytime, so, you know, strong emotions that can make it get out of hand. So that's then my job there is the adult's job is just to be with them and remind them of their agreements. Mm-hmm. I, I want to remind you that we said no hands on the head, no hands in the hair. I want to remind you, no hitting people. And it's just beautiful to watch them. They'll just pig pile each other and there'll be this big <laughs> pile of four or five. Normally, when you are working with children, you need to allow young children at least 12 to 15 seconds after you say something before you can they can respond. Because it just, the instantaneous thing is just not there. And that's a problem a lot of parents get into. Yeah, And this is actually, I'll I'll go into this more if you want me to. This is especially true for boys. You
2: Mm -hmm. need to give them
3: time to process what you've said Mm -hmm. before you can expect a response. But when they're wrestling, it's instantaneous because they're so focused that they're listening to everything. They're focused on everything. So for me, that's uh, when we take that away from our children, because what I have found, and this is, Again, this is on boys, but I got to talk about girls sometimes too. That's
0: okay. When
3: you make it part of the curriculum and you make it allowed, the girls are there equally with the boys. Yes. Boys are just more likely to spontaneously start wrestling. Mm
0: -hmm. And they are surrounded with cultural messages that say this is okay. Whereas girls aren't necessarily.
3: Exactly. Exactly. But once we, you know, and the truth is, is that the girls tend to be bigger and stronger. So, you know, they hold their own easy.
0: (laughs) You know, it's so interesting to me, uh, I've been parenting for 20 plus years now, you mentioned, you know that there's a lot of concern about how we raise our boys, uh, moms of boys, especially and dads too, but uh, we're very conscious, none of us want to raise a predator, none of us want to raise a violent man. So, in some cases we're like we see this tendency to what looks often to female eyes like attack and mm-hmm. a tendency and an interest towards violence, and I'm putting air quotes around these things, as something right. to stop. No, don't wrestle, that's violent, don't do that. But if you listen carefully to what you're saying, when kids do this, you're facilitating preschoolers, but there are all kinds of lessons about consent mm-hmm. being built into that, Yes, which is really what we wanna be teaching our kids awareness of the other person and respect for the other person, kids can learn that through wrestling.
3: They can learn it through. Yeah, they should learn it through wrestling. But in general, in thinking about those agreements, uh, when you're thinking about those agreements, you're not just thinking about yourself, you're thinking about the other people. Mm -hmm. And at one point, and this this is how we run our whole classroom, right? That we don't, I don't give any rules. The kids always make their own agreements with each other about how they want to treat each other. And usually within the first day, they've got all the big ones, no hitting, no kicking, no biting. I mean, it just comes up, right? Right. And and they know how they want to be treated. Um, One year, and this was so, it was really an interesting moment. They, one of the kids suggested, let's agree that you don't do anything to anybody unless you ask them first. And that was just, and it was, and everybody agreed, right? Because we only do this if it's consensus. So everybody had this idea, everybody agreed to this. And it was fascinating because, you know, it would be, it got to the level where they said, you looked at me and you didn't ask me, (laughs) right? And so, and so, you know, we saw, we saw kind of like the slippery slope. We saw that, you know, all the different things, but it's great, because it gets great just for them to be exploring these nuances, right? Because yeah. this isn't just like, it's not as cut and dried as people want to make it sound. There's yeah. a lot of things because we do, we're, we're social animals, we interact with one another. Um, and, and, you know, but around certainly around things like physical touch, I think part of it is that role modeling. Like when I ask a child, do you, yeah. do you want me to pick you up or can I hold your hand or something like that? So um, I think our role modeling that too. And I also think sharing our observations. Um, like if you're, if you're watching a TV show and you see something happen where, you know, consent wasn't given or something like that, talk about it, say, boy, I wonder how she felt when he grabbed her hair like that. I bet, you know, and, 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 especially with our boys is again, I'm talking about, nah, that's terrible. That's bad. Cause we want our boys to grow up feeling that way. I think it'll, you know, this toxic masculinity thing has got to go. We need to draw it into it because it is, you know, toxic.
1: I want to go a different direction here and talk about, you talk about confusion, bewilderment, perplexity, and how that is that idea of not knowing. I talk about wonder and awe and the importance of curiosity and wonder. And it seems like we are the google generation right we pull out you know we see a bug we see a bird we pull out the phone and identify it talk about that place of just being in the mystery with young children
3: well i mean it's a blessing and a curse right They're, the the era of barbets is over Right. You can't sit there and and argue about who had the highest batting average in 1957, uh, because somebody's just going to whip out their phone and tell you the answer. Um, And the the good part about that, of course, is that we don't have to store all this trivia in our heads anymore. Right. And we're kind of understanding what what the trivia is. The trivia is not the important stuff. And we we live in this place, you know, and I think we've made a big mistake uh, in the way we do schooling and education uh, in our country, around the world, really, where we focus so much on the right answer. Mm -hmm. right we focus on that it's all about right answers it's all about and i say no you can always find the right answer just ask google no the the focus should be on asking the right questions the focus should be on 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 what do you think the focus should the focus should be on thinking you know critical thinking thinking about stuff and and eleanor duckworth who's um, a fabulous she's a protege of piaget who i mentioned before um she writes you know that the the difference between thinking and learning is indistinguishable. It's not the right answer that makes the thinking important. It's the process of thinking Mm -hmm. and thinking, and you might get to a wrong answer, but that does, it's not the adult's job to step in and correct them. It's the adult's job to observe this, to understand it and to create scenarios in which the child can continue exploring that question so that then they can eventually come to the answers for themselves. So this, this cult of the right answer, you know, all the standardized testing and all this other stuff, it's just all about we, we can't test the thinking, which is what the learning is, because all if all of this is right answers, that's memorizing. And wow. you know what? Google's doing the memorizing for us. We don't have to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So,
0: give us a, for instance, what does this look like in your classroom, supporting the wonder and supporting the thinking without trying to direct to the right answer?
3: Well, the first thing is, is that my number one job is to observe, right? So my job is to watch a child and I'll give you a great example. I mean, I always make this argument. Okay. What, what play-based education is about is freeing children to ask and answer their own questions, right? Following, you know, as Janet said, curiosity, right? So there was one time, okay, I'll give you a great example. There was a boy named Henry, and uh, he was, he, he, we have this um, traffic cylinder, you know, they're on the freeways, and they. they we somehow ended up with some on our playground. I'm not saying anybody stole them, but they're out there. The kids just, I, there, one year actually, there was a boy who was just obsessed with caution cones. And so our, as a school, we started collecting them because he had he was struggling at school. So we're trying to make it really comfortable. So we ended up with like 50 of them. Um, and so you know, now we can always save parking spots when we want to. Uh, right? um, so anyway, this boy, and this is a big heavy thing and he had it on his shoulder and he was carrying it. And I'm just watching him do this. And I it, he seemed pretty purposeful. And instead of saying, you know, what are you doing? I just said, you know what? I'm just going to watch. I'm going to observe. I'm going to be a researcher. Because to me, that's the number one job. And honestly. After safety and food, clothing, and shelter, I think a parent's job is to be a researcher too, Mm -hmm. Um, but my, especially as a teacher, our job is to be a researcher, so I'm watching him saying, what is he up to? What is he doing? And he actually took this thing, and he put it on the ground, and he arranged it very specifically, and I'm, I'm watching him do this thinking, he's got something in mind, and he climbed up on this crate that was beside it, and he jumped off, and crack, he broke it, and this, I couldn't help myself. I said, Henry, what'd you do that for? And he said, uh, I wanted to see if I could break it. Duh. Right? I mean. <laughs> yeah. Stupid question. He had, he, well, he had, he had clearly, I mean, it was so obvious. What he had done is he had had a question. Yep. He had set up an experiment like any scientist would do. Yes. And he tested it out and he had an answer. Yes, he can break it. And, you know, we can talk about property and all this stuff. And I've just, This was a special circumstance because this is our outdoor playground everything yeah. out there is broken already. This is a yes <laughs> Um, So the fact that he broke it, you know, wasn't really a big deal. Um, but what I love about this is when you watch children, there's always a question, right? There's always a question behind what they're doing. You might not be able to ter- determine what it is because we can't live inside of other people's heads. And the truth is, and this is one of the great fallacies around education, is that no teacher no matter how brilliant they are, knows what's going on inside of somebody else's head. I have no idea what somebody's learning at any given moment. I only can say they are learning because they appear to be thinking. And so, what I, so for me, this is this is why staying out of is best, and then provide the scaffolds, right? Mm-hmm, provide mm-hmm. the opportunities, you know, for the children. So basically, what we're there to offer. I'm mean, familiar with the concept of loose parts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Loose parts play, but well, that's what we're there to do. We're there to be another loose part, and our language—the words that come out of our mouth—should also be loose parts for the kids, rather than commands, rather than questions, rather than these things that direct the children, guide them.
1: For our listeners, will you explain loose parts?
3: Well, loose parts is a theory, and this was—it um, was actually um, first proposed back, uh, I'm going to say, '71, uh, by an architect, a landscape architect. And his idea was, you know, that in in physical spaces, the architects get to have all the fun, and that, that the rest of us get there and everything's fixed, right? They've already figured out where the walls go and the rocks go and the, and the chairs and tables and windows and everything else. And so he said, the more our spaces can be composed of loose parts, where individuals. So he 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 was proposing museums be this way, libraries be this way, that all public buildings be kind of loose part facilities where everybody. But specifically, when it comes to schools. Because what we have right now is this culture of toys, and and I'm not—I I actually know why toys becoming became associated with childhood. But for 99% of human history, there was no such thing as toys. Mm-hmm. Um, what a toy was was that you found a stick, and the stick was your wand or your weapon, or your or it became a person, and or you found a rock. And what's great is that toys have scripts built into them, mm-hmm. and so they are very they're they're very directive with children. They take children. I mean. Even with, you look at something that's pretty open-ended like Legos, right? Lego is, everybody loves Legos, right? Everybody loves playing with Lego. But now they put them in these kits. Right. The specific thing that has to be built. You used to just direction. get a big, egg with directions. And half the time the father builds it and it sits on a counter and you can't like, I'll never forget one kid. He's so happy. I went to his house and, and and he had like the Death Star from Star Wars. and It was a massive, you know, a massive construction, but his father had put it together and the boy wouldn't even let me touch it. Oh. You know, you should be able to smash that thing apart because the destiny of things you build with blocks is to break them back into loose parts, unscripted items that children could put together in odd ways. I mentioned my playground before. I mean, are we have? Oh, we have. We don't have a slide. We have some swings, but otherwise, we have shipping pallets. We have spare tires. We have, you know, planks of wood. We have everything down to like those florist marbles. We've probably scattered, you know, 25,000 out there. So kids are constantly finding them and collecting. them, just a loose part out there. And it's amazing. And so what happens is children, then it's a creative environment for them. So for me, our language should be the same way. They can, you know, making informational statements, statements of fact and statements about our opinions, give children something to think about rather than something that they have to obey or disobey.
0: Observing of a child and noticing purpose is such a powerful tool, and it's something that I I did that when my kids were little, um, and that really was kind of how we homeschooled for seven and a half years. I wrote a blog post, and I'll I'll share the link. Fourth of July celebration. My youngest was maybe I think he was like six. He was probably first grade, and I live in a small town, right? So after the fireworks, the lights go back on, on the ball field and all the kids run down and run the bases, like everybody, small kids, big kids, everybody. And I noticed from afar that my youngest was army crawling between home plate and first base. Okay. Why? I don't know why do kids do the things they do, whatever (laughs) he's down there. He's fine. Um, then he rounded first and he kept going army crawling to second base. At this point, I'm a little concerned because like there's a lot of kids running and my child is on the ground. But I also noticed that he had another friend who was watching him kind of seemed to be supporting whatever's happening here. I just let this happen. He army crawled all the way around to home plate. And when he did, his friend was there and you could just see this celebration like he accomplished something again. I don't really know what he's trying to accomplish or why he's trying to accomplish it, but I could tell that it was important to him. And uh, I mean, this child, as you can imagine, was absolutely filthy by the time he came back to where I was, because he's got the dust all in him and whatever, who cares, right? For him, I think the question was, can I do this? And he proved to himself that he could. And on the way home that night, he basically was talking about it and he was talking about what a good memory that's going to be. I'm tearing up talking about it. You can see it, Tom, Janet, you can see it because And that night I had to throw him in the tub when, you know, he got home because it was everywhere. And he even recognized at that age, he's like, you know, a lot of parents wouldn't have let that happen. Yeah, wow. yeah, that's true. And that he wouldn't have had that memory if somebody had stopped him. Now, to an adult, it can look like frivolous. I'm crying, you guys. It can look like this frivolous, why are you doing this behavior? Yeah. But this child learned something about his ability to set goals, to accomplish a goal that he could do it, which is everything to a child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Everything. Yeah. Yeah. And having the space to do that, being allowed to do that, you're standing back, as Tom said, as the... As the observer, as the researcher, and we don't know what was going on in his head. (laughs) I
0: love that at the beginning of our conversation today, before we hit record, Tom said, I don't know if I have anything to say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Tom. (laughs) I think
0: our listeners will disagree. Uh, For me, I have a couple of powerful takeaways. Observe. Observe. Stand back. Prioritize emotions. Mm -hmm. Prioritize the child who needs emotional support over really anything when it comes to organizing your priorities. Janet, what are some of your takeaways?
1: Well I love the yes space. Yes. Absolutely. And encourage parents to figure out how to how to have that yes space. And you know the other piece of just having this village and the longing for our elders to be with young children. And my dad in his nineties, we would go, he was in a assisted living and we would go to the grocery store and he would just light up when a child came near him or walked down the aisle, he would be reaching out and you could just tell it was so enlivening. And I think we are we are worse off for separating our generations, and the kids are too. So,
0: whenever we can uh, facilitate multi-generational spaces or gatherings, it's to the benefit of all of us—for for the young, for the old, for those of us in the middle who are just grateful that the young and the old can connect and we can like breathe. For you know, a
3: I'm thinking right now that we we're actually in a great opportunity moment because we keep reading about how employers are having a hard time getting employees right now. And part of it is because during the pandemic, people found out they wanted to be home with their kids and be around their children more. And they found out, you know, I might only need one income or I can work from home and get, you know, make almost as much. And, you know, it might behoove employers to start putting preschools in the middle of the workspaces to put daycares and and, and those kind of things. So parents can be there with their kids, go have lunch with their kids during the day and make that one of the benefits because it would it would not just benefit the parents it would not just benefit the children i promise it would benefit the corporation because suddenly you would have happier more productive parents working there in this place especially your female employees and not only that as i was talking about this we i live right here on the amazon.com campus and there's a lot of you know early 20 year olds who've gotten jobs here mm-hmm. and i was talking to this one guy the other day and i sort of mentioned this idea and he said i would go i would go volunteer in the preschool if there was one here at amazon because what it does, it makes us smarter people to hang out with kids. It makes us more creative and it makes us more, um, it puts things in perspective for us. And so having children in the middle society would make a better society. It makes a healthier society. And without with children on the fringe, we'll never make a great society for kids.
0: Oh, Janet and I are both just breathing and we'd like to um, put you in charge of helping to reorganize the world. We will follow and help. We are, this is what we're doing. I mean, I can't change the world by myself. Janet, you can't, Tom, you can't either. But in our little spaces, we work, we make these differences. When you help one child, you are changing the future. I strongly believe that. And listeners, that is as true for you as it is for each of us. Yeah.
1: Tom, tell our listeners where they can reach out and find you.
3: Okay, so my blog is on Blogspot. So it's, if you just Google Teacher Tom, you'll find it. Teacher Tom's blog.blogspot.com is the URL. But you know, everybody loves remember.
1: Teacher Tom. There's probably a Facebook page for that. Everybody there is
3: a fa- there's a, teach a Teacher Tom. Tom Facebook page, and you know, I wish it was everybody. It's not everybody. You know, I've got some <laughs> haters out there, and <laughs> I I, po- I gore a lot of sacred cow. And um, the uh, I guess the other thing I just want to mention, if it's okay, is uh, Teacher Tom's Play Summit is coming up.
0: Definitely. Uh, Tell June, us about
3: that. June, well, it's June 20th through 25th. It's free. We've got 26 presenters on parenting and early childhood education. People, some of them, you probably know people like Laura Markham, uh, Maggie Dent from Australia. If you don't know her, she oh, is the queen of common sense. and she's, We've had her
1: on several right? times. We love Maggie. We've got yeah.
3: Maggie on there. Akilah Richards, maybe an uh, unschooling guru, um, just an amazing, powerful person. We've got a whole panel of unschooled parents actually talking about their reasons uh for why they're doing it and how they're doing it um so in in a, in a lot of other sort of parenting type uh, advice and counsel but also early childhood because to me parenting and early childhood education yeah. if they're not married um then we're doing it wrong mm-hmm. um the two go hand in hand and, and educators and parents need to be allies with each other in this process so anyway um you know teacher you can go and get your free pass there um, even if this airs after it, you could still go on there and, and get free access to all of these incredible speakers. Peter Gray is there. Oh, love um, him! There's, there's, there's just a lot of people. I'm sure that your listeners would be excited by, uh, and just they, you know, we we actually went out of our way to get um, several indigenous speakers uh, because we really wanted to hear the vision for this. And I think this is this should be our vision for everything we do as community anymore. Is is um, Hopi Martin, who is an Ojibwe um, tribe member. Uh, he's an educator in near Toronto. And he's, he talked about this metaphor that's just so simple and so beautiful about, about the campfire. And we come to the campfire and we're all coming around the same campfire and we're all sitting around this campfire. And we all bring with us all our, you know, we call it baggage, but it's our ancestors. It's our history. It's our, it's our positives and negatives. We all, so we each come with a different perspective to look at this fire. So right away, we're seeing a different fire. But not only that; just literally, we're just seeing it from a different perspective. And until you've heard from every single person sitting around that fire, you don't know anything about that fire. You have an incomplete knowledge. And I love that uh, Brenda Souter, our Maori uh, educator, she said, "You know, the way we think of this is that you know we don't have, we don't have this idea of linear time, right? We have this idea that everything still exists, and it's just like a big balloon that's getting bigger and bigger. And what I love to think about is the idea that." I've got my ideas. You've got your ideas. And instead of making them competing ideas, how about we see how we can use all of our ideas to make our ideas bigger than they are? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where you know that's the concept behind the summit. and it's it's that's why I want you know because parents and educators, if we ally ourselves together in the name of children, nothing on this earth can stop
0: us. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you can, please consider supporting our sponsors. When you support them, we are able to better support you.